hi there, Ollie Anderson here. You're listening to Creative Status. This is a podcast about using the creative process to transform your life. And ultimately, the main lesson that we seem to keep uncovering is that if you trust life and you go with it and you get out of your own way, then the only transformation that any of us can go through is from a state of being fragmented and disconnected to a state of wholeness. That ultimately just means that we're connected to ourselves, connected to other people, and connected to life on the deepest possible level. Uh, If you're new to the podcast, welcome. Every episode, I interview some amazing, inspiring people that have something amazing and inspiring to say about life itself and the creative process. My view and my understanding of all this now is that because we're talking about what's real and what's universal and applies to all of our lives, we can come into this from all kinds of different angles and we can learn to understand it more deeply and more intricately through the nuances of people's experiences, the theoretical stuff that they uh, use to make sense of life and all that kind of thing. There's some deep, deep learning in today's interview, which is uh, an interview with Chris Kalbflesh, who is a Kundalini yoga teacher. If you don't know, Kundalini yoga is the most ancient form of yoga. Um, It goes all the way back to the Vedas, uh, which are ancient texts, basically. Um, And the Kundalini itself is often described as being a serpent that is coiled up at the bottom of our spines. And if we go through a process of um, ultimately reconnecting to ourselves in a strategic way, working up our body uh, through the chakra system, then we can awaken this energy that is within us and ultimately be more connected and ready to transform our lives by knowing deeply, with deep awareness, who we are, what life is all about, and what we want to do with it. Um, That might have been a terrible way of describing Kundalini Yoga, but luckily, in the interview, you're going to get some amazing stuff from Chris, who can tell you properly, because that's his whole thing. Uh, But ultimately, this is a conversation about transformation. What transformation is, how it shows up, how we can ride with it, how we can ensure that the transformations we take ourselves through are real, and what to expect along the way, plus a load of other amazing things. So I'm going to stop rambling, but here's uh, the actual interview. Chris, thank you so much for your time. Everybody else, I'm sure you're going to get some cool stuff out of this. So thanks for listening and hope you enjoy it. Here's the interview. Boom. Oh, hi there, Chris. Thank you so much for joining me today on Creative Status. Um, You're a Kundalini yoga teacher, which is super cool. Kundalini is something that's fascinated me for a while. And I feel like I might have picked up a lot of misconceptions around what it is. So it's good to actually talk to somebody who knows what they're on about. Before I start asking you six million different questions, do you want to just introduce yourself, tell people a bit more about what you do and also what you want to get out of this conversation? Yeah, uh, thanks, Ollie. Thanks for having me be here. Um, I'm very, very excited to uh, be spending this time with you. Yeah, um, so I am a Kundalini yoga teacher uh, as well as a transformational life coach. And wow. as we get into the discussion, we'll see how those two things go to, together because Kundalini itself is all about transformation. Mm. Uh, an interesting story about how I came across Kundalini, an interesting story about how it found me. And um, I'm looking forward to getting and exploring all that stuff with you. And in terms of stuff that you know, we can cover that's really interesting. I, this idea of um, tapping into our, our infinite creative potential, which mm. is 
ultimately the objective of the Kundalini Yoga practice to tap into that infin infinite creative potential that we all have in us. So looking forward to this. That's amazing. So just to dive right into this, maybe we need to start with a, a simple definition of what Kundalini is. So there's two things I've heard about Kundalini. Maybe you can test my assumptions. So the first thing I've heard mm. is that it's the most ancient form of yoga. So if you go back to the, mm -hmm. you know, the, the Upanishads and all these old books, I don't know if it's literally the Upanishads, but the, the old Vedas and things like that, Kundalini yoga is mentioned in there. But the other thing that I've heard, which a lot of people might have heard that are listening to this, is that Kundalini is a serpent that is coiled up at the base of your spine. And if you go through the right sequence or the, follow the right process of doing what you need to do, you can awaken this serpent and it's going to shoot up your spine, go through your chakras, and then you're going to be enlightened or something like that. Is that what we're talking about? Or is there more to it or less to it? Like, how would you kind of dissect that? Yeah. Um, so Kundalini Yoga is a technology. It is a technology of human consciousness. And when they're talking about yoga in the Upanishads or in the Vedas, they are referring to loosely um, Raj Yoga or Kundalini Yoga. Mm -hmm. uh, what Kundalini does effectively is it takes all the aspects of all the various forms of yoga. It packages them together in, you know, as we describe it as a technology that's meant to be the fastest, fastest path uh, mm -hmm. to enlightenment one can achieve. And I think I've heard it said, and whether this is true or not, it's folklore, that, you know, one year of Kundalini Yoga is the equivalent of 10 years of Hatha Yoga in terms of wow. what it does to you spiritually. Uh, it, so, it incorporates, go ahead. Sorry, so I was just going to say, I think you were about to answer it, but what's the main difference, would you say, between Kundalini and the other kinds of yoga, the other schools? Kundalini, I think, brings all the all the pieces of those schools together. So it, it takes mm -hmm. the it takes bits them together, then codifies them in such a way that it uh, has this effect of moving energy quickly through your body. So it'll have the, the you know the asana positions, the pranayama breath work, the meditation, the japa, the re repetition of sounds, um, and and other various forms that will show up in all these other types of yoga putting them all together with the objective of being the fastest path to enlightenment. And they used to call it the householder yoga in that you didn't necessarily have to, you know, leave the village and go off into the jungle for, for 10 years to find enlightenment. You could carry on in the, in the real world, do Kundalini yoga, and that could also be a path to enlightenment. Wow. So I suppose that the obvious question now then is when we say enlightenment in, in this context, what exactly are we talking about like what what are we aiming for if we're aiming for enlightenment yeah so it goes to the first question one of the second question you asked about that coiled serpent uh that they talk about in kundalini and so that mm. i guess that that allegory or analogy of the serpent is that you know in our just above our sacrum down what's called the lower triangle of our chakras those first three chakras there's this energy and we call it the Kundalini energy, and we can um, amorphize it as a, a serpent that it, it lies dormant in there. But it's all of our, our I guess, our potential, all of our our divine um, energy that sits dormant in there, and it's waiting to be released. And how it gets released is by 
clearing the blockages throughout our body, throughout our chakra systems, um, and allow, allow that energy to rise up from the lower chakras all the way up through the seven chakra system and out the crown. And through that process, we gain a new perspective and a new understanding of what ultimate reality is. And so effectively, you can say enlightenment is potentially uh, having some of the veils of illusion, they call it, torn down about the world we live in and to tap into something that has greater meaning to it. And that's the process of enlightenment. And, you know, I think one or two people throughout history have gotten truly enlightened, which is like the Buddha or, or Christ, and the rest of us are just somewhere on this path. <laughs> yeah. So one thing that I'm always talking about on this podcast is that the creative process is ultimately two things, which are the same thing. So it's the journey of making the unconscious conscious. But as we do that, we go from a state of fragmentation to wholeness. Fragmentation mm -hmm. is ultimately when we're caught up in our minds, we're caught up in a, an identity that is just built of uh, conceptual knowledge and ideas where we're holding back and hesitating because of our conditioning and all this kind of stuff. And we pick up a version of ourselves, which is very limited at the levels of what we allow ourselves to perceive, but also the way that we interpret life and our ability to kind of respond to it and move with it. What you're saying about the Kundalini is very similar. So ultimately what you seem to be saying is as the Kundalini awakens, it travels up our spine. We basically push through a lot of these fragmentary blocks and barriers so that we can become more whole and reconnect to what was there all the time. Is that a fair way to say it? Yeah, I think so. And I'll, I'll, I'll state it in slightly different terms is that, you know, we are man, uh, man, women are, are conditioned beings. So we're, bo we're born these blank slates with the mm -hmm. supercomputer attached to us, which is our, our psyche and our brain. And we have a bunch of rules and ways to live programmed into us in order to survive. And depending on where we're born into, what family, what country, what dynamic, we have to develop an ego or persona mm -hmm. to survive that because we're helpless. Yeah. And the only way to get to adulthood is to create a set of rules to keep us safe. Mm. We then identify with those as that's who we are. But mm. in fact, that was just basically a, uh, some type of a program that was dropped into us, an operating system to get us to the point where we could then move on, shed it like a snake sheds its skin and wow. figure out you know, what our, what our true identity is. Mm. What Kundalini Yoga does is, and this has certainly been my experience with it, is our mind is a very, very powerful thing. It traps us into this identity. And it's hard for the mind itself to break out of this identity. We can all read books in the Buddha and we can, we can intellectualize it. But for whatever reason, that's often not powerful enough to break that hold the mind has on it that, you know, you're so-and-so a person with, you know, that you have these traits and this is who you are. That's really ingrained in us. Mm -hmm. What Kundalini Yoga does is it's a almost a bottom-up procedure to break the patterning and conditionings of the minds. And how it actually works, it's, you know, wow. I think it's beyond our understanding of science right now. But through, through the movements of the body, through the repetition of sound, through using our breath a certain way, uh, and through meditation, those pat the patterns and the hold that the mind has on us 
weakens enough that then the mind can be turned on itself to try to mm. let go of all these attachments to our identity. Mm. I think um, exactly what you just said is how life kind of works in general. So people are born and they're in this state of wholeness. But as we go through our early years and through you know early teenage years as well, we become conditioned and we pick up this identity, which is ultimately a reaction to what we've been through and what we think we may need to survive again in the future. And exactly like you said, we, be, we become so attached to it that it blinds us to the actual truth of life. It causes friction between us and reality. That friction can turn to frustration. It can make people miserable the more they cl cling to it. And this Kundalini thing, ultimately, like you've said, it's technology that is a shortcut to returning to the natural state of wholeness that we're all ultimately supposed to be in. So I guess the question is, how does the Kundalini awakening kind of happen? Because I've heard it can happen in two main ways. One, you know, you can put yourself through a rigorous process of uh, doing Kundalini every day for like however many years you need to do it. But sometimes it just happens organically as well. Is that right? So you might be, I don't know, walking down the street one day, going to the supermarket or something, and then boom, you have this Kundalini thing. What's happening in that situation if that is something that happens? And how can people kind of navigate that when it does occur? Yeah, and that's a great question. And you know, those are the those are the bookmarks of the two paths. The one is you you learn about Kundalini, you want enlightenment, so you, you head off and you and you start a daily practice of Kundalini yoga, and then over time, hopefully, you get there. I mean, who knows? Mm. Others, it's more of a spontaneous thing. Um, and I can certainly speak to my own experience. There is, as I look back at it now, I did have this spontaneous Kundalini awakening. Um, you know, if four years ago, um, I'm just a you know I'm I'm turning 53 today. But wow. four or five years ago, in my late 40s, um, I'm working a job in finance. Uh, I've got the sort of standard life with a, the, the picket fence and you know coaching sports for my kids and all that stuff. And suddenly, out of nowhere, you know, my life. If I if I took a look at what my goals were in life uh, at you know 20 years before, I'm a 10 out of 10 on achieving all the stuff I wanted. I've got a 10 out of 10 on the scoreboard scoreboard of society. Inside, I'm starting to feel like a zero. I have no idea what's happening, but life's you know everything around me is losing meaning. It doesn't make any sense to me. I don't understand why I'm going to work to do this stuff. It nothing's fitting anymore. And what I realized is I had this. I was starting to have this spontaneous Kundalini awakening that was. It's hard to describe where it came from. And I was, you know, searching for meaning of what was happening to me. And I ended up going away to a, a wellness place in the United States. And I came across a, a psychic that was there. It was also, it turns out, was a Kundalini yoga teacher. And mm -hmm. she looked at me and almost immediately she says, you know, I can tell you're going through something really, really traumatic. Uh, your life's going to be about to be turned upside down. You have no idea about, what, about what's coming. Um, wow. But just trust you're going to be okay. But you literally, when you get back to Vancouver, you have to start doing Kundalini yoga tomorrow. That's that's going to be the, the answer <laughs> for you. And I, I, here's a, I was a guy that's never done yoga before at this stage, um, let alone have any idea what Kundalini yoga was. Mm -hmm. But um, I did it. So I, I, had, I had nothing to lose and I needed an answer. So I got back to Vancouver, um, looked up where I could take Kundalini yoga, found a found a place close to me and I went to this uh, yoga class where 
it wasn't what I expected. I come into this room and there's this chanting music on. The teacher has a turban on. Uh, it looks like the Island of Misfit Toys. Like it's not what at all what I was expecting from yoga. And so I sit down and do this thing. And after at the end of this hour and a half class, I have had the most emotional experience I've ever had in my life. Like wow. it's like a bolt of energy had gone up my spine. I'm mm. tears are rolling down my face and my heart feels wide open for the first time ever. And that that was my how my journey of um becoming a kundalini yoga teacher started from this something's going wrong in my life i can feel this awakening of the energy in me spontaneously to then applying this technology and mm. rapidly increasing it wow like what you just said is so powerful because one thing that i think kind of defines the modern human experience is that so many people are detached from themselves and detached from reality and detached from wholeness because they're chasing goals that aren't really their goals. They're chasing goals of the ego, basically. They're trying to uh, design a life around the kind of conditioning that we were talking about earlier. And when that happens, I suppose as you get a bit older, you reach this kind of crunch point where everything seems fine on the outside, but inside there's kind of a void, like a restless feeling where the real you just needs to come up uh, from the shadows to the surface. And I think, like, I've never really made this connection before, but, like, ultimately, the kundalini is like um, when coal is getting crushed and there's so much pressure, it just it creates a diamond. And it's a similar kind of thing, like the ego stuff, living in this unreal way that you were talking about, it eventually puts so much pressure that the real self deep within has to just kind of surge up to the surface and maybe I'm, I'm romanticizing it a bit but do you think there is something there so ultimately if, if you if there's enough pressure in your life and you avoid yourself for long enough then something is going to happen to you that basically causes your real self to surface again and at the start of that journey it might seem like your life has been destroyed or that something is going wrong but really, if you can trust the process, it's just about reaching balance again, returning to where you were supposed to be. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it, returning to where you're supposed to be. I think mm -hmm. throughout our lives, we basically have our, our authentic self or our, our just call it the self mm -hmm. uh, trying, trying to rise and trying mm -hmm. to eviscerate mm -hmm. the ego, which is only supposed to be there temporarily for us. It's, mm -hmm. We haven't shed our skin. I think mm -hmm. our whole life, that's the process that's happening within us. And, you know, I think for me anyways, I think for some people it can be the death of a loved one. It can be some type of intense suffering. Mm -hmm. And f what my path was, it's like wow. I think I achieved everything I wanted to from an ego, egoic standpoint, mm -hmm. right? Like all the mm -hmm. stuff that I was, I was told or yeah. programmed by society that said, hey, this is going to make you happy if you have this much money, the house, this kind of stuff, that's going to be happy. And I get there and it's, it wasn't true. I'm miserable. There's no purpose in my life. I can't see myself going on and, and doing this anymore. And so mm -hmm. I started to go into a deep depression. Mm -hmm. um, uh, mm -hmm. Alcohol and drugs become part of my story there as I fall into addiction because I'm trying to I'm trying to cope with these internal mm -hmm. feelings mm -hmm. that I don't really know how to express anywhere. Wow. And this is this concept of the dark night of the soul that happens where, mm. you know, how I would vision is like basically the self's trying to rise and the ego knows its days are numbered. So the ego begins to fight for its life. The ego wants to hold on. And, and so actually the ego identity tries to strengthen itself further. 
So whatever character flaws and defects someone has at that time, they get amplified. Mm -hmm. And that's why the, the bottom comes so hard and fast and furious right wow. before right before you have this sort of spiritual awakening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a case of uh, what goes up must come down. And right. the ego, like you said, it, it, I, I see it as though the ego is constantly in a battle with the shadow self. So when we're younger and we basically start getting conditioned and we become ashamed of the real self and all that kind of stuff, we send all these different parts of ourselves into hiding. But those parts that we send into hiding, into the sh shadow territory, that's what I call it, they never go anywhere. They're real. And so when we start living out this socially conditioned, socially programmed life in an unreal, inauthentic way, we're just creating more and more mental tension. And it, it takes so much energy and so much strength to maintain that illusion of the ego being the real version of us. Because like you said, it's just an idea. It's not real. It's just something that we have kind of created as a filter to keep surviving in the way that we think we need to survive. It's not reality itself. And so the more we cling to the ego and the more it tells us that we need it because we've identified with it, the more vociferously all those emotions are going to start screaming out to us. And I think that's why you said, you know, when you went to your Kundalini class for the first time, it was very emotional. Like you kind of broke down in tears and all that kind of stuff because you had just returned to that version of yourself and you kind of accepted it again. So this is getting us onto, I guess, the transformational part of the conversation. So how has all this stuff taught you about or shown you how, you know, transformation works in general for human beings? And I know that's a really broad question, but have you learned anything about the structure of just the transformation process for anybody, I guess, is the question. Yeah, it's it's that we're, we're right over the target right now as we talk about this stuff where we have this egoic shell on us mm -hmm. and it's got many, many layers to it. It's like an onion. And right in the middle of it is is our, like, it's like, imagine a heart shape, which is a self. Mm -hmm. The transformation is so much about letting go of the mm -hmm. structure of the ego to just mm -hmm. let what's already there emerge. There's nothing to become there's nowhere to go to it's a process of letting go of all the the wrap we've put on this self mm. when i when i talk to people about transformation really at the basic stage or people are even interested in it i ask the question of of you know can you remember a time when you decided that what made sense for your life was to go to school for 20 years um, then, then work for 45 years making widgets and maybe taking a vacation every two weeks so that one day you could potentially retire with the money you saved and, and then relax. Like, I don't know who actually chose that. I don't know who's actually chosen that making widgets and climbing mountains and collecting stuff was the meaning of life. And most people, when you start talking about it, it gets them thinking about it. Hey, maybe there's a different way to live my life. Now, mm -hmm. it it's hard because the whole world appears to be focused on that first thing. That's the way we do it, and there's no mm -hmm. other way. And transformation is that process of starting to let all of that go and mm -hmm. find that there's a completely different way to live our lives. And we're meant to be living our lives a different way that will mm -hmm. bring far more purpose and meaning and happiness into it. Mm. So do you think that the, the natural way of living – is kind of predetermined or is the natural way of returning to something where 
you know, we have not infinite, but way more choice than we may have originally been led to believe. Do you, do you know what I mean? Because sometimes when we're talking about this stuff as coaches or healers or whatever, it sounds like a lot of the time, some people are saying, right, it's all predetermined. And if you can just let go of your social conditioning, you can return to the path that you're supposed to be on, but that path is your path and there's nothing you can do. But then the other way of looking at it is, okay, you can let go of all the conditioning and blah, 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 blah. And then you can choose pretty much whatever path you want, as long as it's real and it's not aligned with the ego stuff. Um, which camp would you say you're in if, you, if you're in one? I think I would describe it as that, um, you know, one of my main teachers who's not around anymore is Yogi Bhajan, who's the, who brought Kundalini Yoga to North America. Wow. And he has a saying is that happiness is a birthright. All we need to do is claim it. And I think our purpose is to ultimately be happy. Um, and there, there may be a divine setup. And this sort of feels right to me that there's this idea that we come into this incarnation um, with a plan that there's going to be something that happens to us somewhere along the line that creates enough trauma or friction in our life that wakes us up and then we continue our real journey. That sort of feels right to me. But once that happens, then it's about, you know, as you, as you talked about, all of our conditioning that we have on us and all of our limits are effectively self-imposed. Yeah. We've, we've created this structure around ourselves and these limits to make ourselves feel safe. But what it's done is it's simply limited our ability to live life to the fullest mm -hmm. and potentially, to, and I can't speak for everyone, but for myself, it was actually cutting me off for true happiness. And every, of all the spiritual systems I've studied, and I've studied a lot of them and my own experience, the only true route to happiness for me is to be in selfless service to others, mm -hmm. to be useful, to be helpful. Because uh, when I do that, I think what's happening is I'm, I'm understanding that I'm not separate from you. I'm not separate mm -hmm. from anyone. We're all part of this, this wholeness. And when I go into a service for someone and expect nothing back in return, my subconscious is understanding that I understand it. Mm -hmm. And so then I'm in a place of joy and happiness. Wow. That makes perfect sense to me as well, because the main problem in life for anybody is the ego, like you said, and the ego is the idea that we're all independent, we're all separate, that what we do doesn't affect other people and blah de blah de blah. But on a deep level as well, the ego is the idea that you don't need to trust life and you don't need to trust other people because it's all up to you. Like you're not flowing with life, you're forcing life through your identity and all of the things that your identity tells you you need to do to reach the goals that your identity has set for you. And if you can break free of all that stuff that we're talking about, the ego stuff and all the myriad layers that make it up, then you have to kind of submit or surrender or whatever word you want to use to the bigger flow of life, which is that wholeness. And if you do that, then you're always going to be connected to other people. And so part of the process of transformation that I've seen in my life and in the lives of other people I've worked with or whatever, is that they go through this process we're talking about. They deconstruct the ego, they integrate the shadow, and then they start building a life for themselves that's real. But the only way they can do that is by building something that is going to offer value to other people. So it's no longer just about them, you know, been in the moment and been hedonistic or any of that stuff. It's about 
using the gifts they've uncovered to help other people uncover their gifts or something like that. Yeah, I, I think that's that's absolutely right. The egoic mindset, and we this is part of growing up, is we have this egoic mindset. It's all about lack and scarcity. There's not enough, and I have to I have to go and accumulate, and I have to get more, and I have to be different in order to do that, and I have to win, and I have to achieve. And even once we get that, we go into fear that it's going to be taken away, because it's this it's a scarcity mindset, which is it's not true. The truth is we are constantly in so much abundance and the surrender part of that. And it's very, very hard is to surrender to this idea that I'm going to be given everything I need. I have everything I need right now. I'm perfect and whole as I am. Um, and what I should be doing is, yeah, working with others, helping others. And that's, you know, the best way to, to experience the fullness of abundance Mm. is to give because whatever I give, I get back tenfold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because ultimately the world is a, a mirror of what's going on inside of us. Right. And obviously if we give, we can circumvent some of our programming and ETC. What you just said is really um, like really interesting to me and quite powerful. So you basically said like the natural state, which we can become aware of if we kind of wake up or wake the Kundalini up and all that kind of stuff. The, the natural state is abundance. And ultimately, if we can just trust and go with life, our needs will be met pretty much always and things will work out and so on and so forth. What is it that makes that so hard? Because if you think about it, it's kind of a, a paradox. Like all of our needs are met. We can become aware of that. But the hurdle we have to overcome to kind of tune into that is just letting go and trusting and this podcast always ends up coming back to that that word trust because ultimately <laughs> all we can do is trust the process but it takes strength to receive if that makes sense so what is going on there would you say if that's not too nuanced no it's it's our back to our conditioning we're We've been so conditioned that that's not true, that there is an abundance. We, from the day we go to go to school, we're conditioned that we have to have the best marks to, to be anything, that we have to be good at sports to be important, mm -hmm. that we, we have to do all these things in order to wow. get something in life. And if we don't have, you know, get good marks and have a good job, we're going to be poor and homeless because that's the, the story we're told. And we have all these fears of these awful things happening to us, even though they've never have happened to us, but we see it on the news. We hear stories about it and our, and our egoic mind, which I don't want to, I don't want to be too hard on the ego. The ego is here to protect us and get us from being a child to an adult. And we have to thank it for creating enough fear for us not to die. But at some stage we have to let it go. But the problem is if we take that ego on to adulthood. It's constantly trying to protect, protect us. The only mandate of the ego is survival, nothing mm -hmm. else. There's no happiness mm -hmm. involved in the ego. It's a survival mechanism. Mm -hmm. And so it's so hard to overcome those lifelong patterns mm -hmm. and limiting beliefs and fears that the ego's put around us to keep us safe. We have mm -hmm. to surrender to the fact that, you know what? I am safe. It's mm -hmm. going to be okay. Mm -hmm. Do you think there's, a, there's kind of a bodily or biological element to the ego as well? So... If we go back to the wholeness fragmentation thing, I think the reason that we tend to perceive and interpret everything as been fragmented is because our, our bodies are fragmented. 
they're made of molecules and all this kind of stuff. And so ultimately the apparatus we've got, our brains ultimately are projecting a fragmented way of being out into the world. And then it is reflected back at us. And we think that is reality. And so part of the Kundalini transformation you're talking about is kind of transcending that. Like it's not, it's not just about being in the body. It's almost going, uh, transcending the body again. I keep using that same word, but is that a, a good way to say it? Like, is that right? Yeah, we're really much in the same wavelength. Cause I've, I was just, my thought process to just take me to this place of the illusion of what our, our body actually is. Right. Mm-hmm. We're, we've, we've created this construct that this, this, you know, we're this solid matter and we're separate and everything's individual. But the reality is, and qu- quantum mechanics has finally caught up to Kundalini Yoga. Let's be clear that the yogis knew this thousands of years ago, mm. is that everything in the universe is, is simply vibration. Mm. It's it's vibration, it's light, it's it's sound, but we're all a vibrational frequency. All our body is is just vibration. Everything around us is vibration. And our consciousness, the consci- consciousness of the universe, gives it the form we see. Mm. And from a, from a real simple you know, a yogic perspective, what's happening when we work, do our work to drop the ego and to, and to connect with the self is we're changing our vibrational frequency. Mm-hmm. The ego mm-hmm. likes to dwell in fear, guilt, shame, grief, things like that. These are all aspects or frequencies that are, have lower vibrational frequencies. Frequency attracts frequency. When we're in that place, our life is going to attract the vibration we're putting out. So, if, you know, I think addiction is the the most extreme example of it. If people in addiction are, are in the constant vibration of, of shame, fear, and guilt. Mm-hmm. And as they go further and further in addiction, you look at their lives. It is surrounded by, by shame, fear, and guilt. That's what their life becomes. And then you look at people who have become enlightened and they raise their vibration to that of love and peace. And you look at their lives. They are now surrounded by that aspect of their lives. So at the, at the heart of it all, these practices are about raising our vibrational frequency, letting go of fear, letting go of disbelief, letting go of our limiting beliefs so we can ha- vibrate from a different place of love, peace, and joy. And with time, with the leg, we begin to attract all of that into our lives and all, mm-hmm. the, all mm-hmm. the things that vibrate at a different frequency will slowly leave our life. And that's mm. abundance. That's how abundance works from a, a quantum mechanics perspective. Mm. Like this is how I've experienced it in my life as well. So the whole, the law of attraction, ultimately, it's it's like a boomerang, isn't it? So what you put out there is what's going to come back. And if you have – people make it really complicated, but all, I think it's exactly what you just said. If you can work on your inner state so that you feel peace – you feel wholeness, ultimately, that feeling of realness, then that is what you're going to get back. And so all these people are, you know, dancing through hoops and doing, I don't know, crystals under the moon and stuff like that. They're using those rituals as a way of getting into that feeling. But actually, you, you can manifest or whatever word you want to use, tap into abundance just by realizing that it is you, if that makes sense. And so the Kundalini thing... Again, it's it's about rewiring people to their natural state, I suppose, of health and abundance and all these kind of things. And it's just about removing all the trappings of the world. 
Is is that a, a way to say it? Like the the problem really is the world and our attachment to it. Yeah, like a hundred percent. And you know, you can do all this work of trying to open yourself up to to enlightenment or, or to love through yeah, like crystal bowls and, and rituals and things like that. Um, but if you haven't let go of the attachment to mm. to the world, nothing will change. So it's this idea that um, I'll use an abundance as an example. So I'm going to, I want to have a life of abundance. I'm going to surrender to abundance. But if I have a view or an idea of what abundance looks like in terms of a certain amount of money or a certain lifestyle, I'm just in the ego still. I'm just mm -hmm. attached to an outcome. Mm -hmm. And the and the real spiritual uh, wow. secret of abundance mm -hmm. is you have no attachment to what that is. The universe is going to give you what makes you happy and what bring, brings you joy. Um, and that's where abundance comes from. You don't know what brings you joy or what brings you happy because your mind is egoic. Your mind is going, mm -hmm. is going to always try to gravitate towards the things that the egoic self had equated with happiness to your programming. And that's the hardest part to let go of is that I can, I can honestly say now that you know, you know, money, title, fame, all that stuff, it doesn't bring me happiness. I know this for sure. And so mm -hmm. it's, maybe it's easier for me to let go of that as an idea of something to, to strive for. For folks who haven't had that yet, it's a harder attachment to let go of because it's almost mm. like, well, maybe I'll give that a try first. Maybe it'll bring me some <laughs> happiness, right, before letting go of that idea. Yeah. I think as well there's a thing around – there's a difference between the symbols of abundance or the symbols of happiness or the symbols of whatever and the underlying process. And – the difference between those things is the difference between inner and outer. So a simple example is like mm. a, a tree, like a tree grows fruit. So you, you look at the fruit on the tree. The fruit is not the abundance itself. The fruit is a symbol of this underlying process of abundance that is always working. And so, you know, if you pick that fruit, you don't actually have to do anything else to to get more fruit on the tree, if that makes sense. And the reason is that there's, there's stuff always going on. It's a process that is constantly unfolding. It's wholeness, constantly moving and ebbing and flowing and undulating. And when you go through these kind of transformations that you're talking about with Kundalini or just life transformation in general, it's always the same structure really, which is that you're taking your attention away from the surface, from the fruit, and you're tuning in to the underlying current of wholeness or whatever you want to call it, which is what actually leads to the, the fruit. And you can apply that to life as well. Um, I don't know if that's too convoluted of a metaphor, but do you see what I'm saying? Like, is that valid? No, that's not convoluted at all. I think that's exactly right. It's um, yeah. There's the, there's the fruits of, you know, you know, we, you, uh, what is it? They, uh, you harvest what you sow, right? And so what you sow is what's important. It's your, mm -hmm. your quality of your thinking, your quality of your words, your quality of the actions. That's the, that's who you are in the moment. And the, the stuff that comes as a result of that are just the fruits of all of that. Mm -hmm. Um, but your quality of life is all, is only experienced in the present moment. The past is a bunch of electrical signals to the brain. The future is just a series of present moments. The only thing that's real is right now. And the only thing that's real in the present moment is the quality of your thoughts and quality of your emotions. And so that's, 
that's the place that if we can bring our attention there and be in the present moment wow. and let go of fear of the future and grief from the past, mm. we can find that abundance because yeah. it's in the now. Yeah. And it's always, always there. Like if we're not connected to it, then we've distorted our view of reality, basically, either with the, with the ego resistance or just ego distortion in general, because the way we perceive things, uh, emotional reasoning and all that kind of stuff. Um, what you said about, uh, you know, you harvest what you sow, you reap what you sow. There's a similar quote from the Bible where it says something like, a corrupt tree brings forth uh, bad fruit. And it's the same kind of thing. Like when you said that, it reminded me of it. So in relation to Kundalini and all the things we talked about in terms of transformation, how does that fit into it? The idea that in the present moment, if we're having a bad time or, you know, life currently sucks, this idea that a corrupt tree brings forth bad fruit, does it link to all these things we've been saying? Yeah. Like at the end of the day, I think it's, I think it's quite simple. The only, we have no control over, you know, the outer universe. Um, mm-hmm. The only thing we can control ultimately is the, the quality of the vibrational frequency that we're emitting into this universal quantum field that pulls everything back into us. And so that, that rotten fruit is if we're going to, if we're going to sit in fear, guilt, and shame and wishing I had this and being mad at that person, holding resentments, that's the fruit that our tree is going to grow. Mm. But if we, if we can do the work to transform all that and to be in gratitude, um, love everyone unconditionally, forgive unconditionally. Mm. Um, the fruit that's going to come off our tree eventually is going to be beautiful and, mm. and nourishing. And I think wow. it's, a, I honestly believe it's as simple as that, is what is the work we need to do to maximize our vibrational frequency and live in this place of unconditional love? Because that's fully in our control. Mm. Everything else is out of our control. And once we mm. fully understand that, wow. the the whole enlightenment process is, what are the quality of my thoughts and what can I do today to transform the quality of those thoughts, whether it be a yoga practice, some meditation, maybe I, maybe I get into service and help somebody out mm-hmm. or maybe I do some spiritual reading, but what can I do to maximize the quality of my thoughts? The rest will just come. hundred mm-hmm. percent. So as within, so without all that kind of stuff, you just mentioned right. uh, some really practical things that people can do, but just to kind of, summarize what we're saying i guess and to make this a little bit more practical if somebody is listening to this and they currently you know they look at their life and there's bad fruit everywhere um i'm saying that in scare quotes but if there's bad fruit everywhere what can they do to start kind of shifting the picture in terms of you know transforming their lives in the way that you're talking about right it's you know there's this um there's this picture that's showing up in my mind right now as you ask that question. And there's these two interlapping circles, like a Venn diagram. The first circle is surrender mm-hmm. and the second circle is discipline and where they intersect is flow. Yeah. And the first thing is to have the willingness and the willingness to try to surrender and, you know, surrender is hard. It, mm-hmm. it doesn't come naturally because our ego doesn't want to surrender. Our ego wants mm-hmm. to win. Mm-hmm. So you need a discipline. What discipline can I, I bring to this? And it's, you know, there's one view from the top of the mountain. I believe this, but there's an infinite number of paths up the mountain. It's each individual. So what can someone add to their discipline to try to break down these patterns of the ego? It, well, it can be you know, a Kundalini yoga practice. It can be, it can be any kind of yoga practice for that matter. 
Uh, it could be meditation. It can be journaling. Um, it can be prayer. Uh, it can be chanting. But it's something that you, you say, listen, I want to change my life. And the only way I'm going to change my life is through some sort of a daily practice or sadhana. And it's the most important thing in my life. So I'm going to make it my number one priority. I'm going to set my alarm early and I'm going to get up and I'm going to do this hour practice every day before I start my day. And that's mm -hmm. where transformation will begin to take root. Mm -hmm. And it's not overnight, but you know, you give that for something like that 40 days, you will start to see some material changes. You give it 90 days, bigger changes, and you do that for a year, your whole life will be different. Mm -hmm. And it, it's, mm -hmm. it's as simple as that, but that's mm -hmm. hard. Yeah, yeah, it's so true. It's that continuous action. And then I suppose there's also that extra level of making sure the actions you take are inspired actions. So we don't want to just become one of these people that's doing things for the sake of doing things like a human doing. We need to put our being into the doing. And I think that's why the surrender part is so important because then you're, you are connected to something bigger than just you. Um, yeah. I'm going to stop talking because I feel like I could open a whole new can of worms and just keep going <laughs> for another six hours or something. Um, we've covered a lot in a short time, but have you, have you got any final words to sum all this up? Um, like, yeah, just how would you kind of sum everything up? And can you also let people know where they can find you as well, if they want to check out your website and that kind of thing? Yeah, absolutely. I guess I would sum it up is that all of us, we're, we're I mean, we're ultimately all part of this wholeness and all part of the one. We're all the same. There's no real differences. We all have an infinite creative potential that resides inside us to tran uh, transcend all of our limiting beliefs and to tap into our divine nature and to live under grace and have the ultimate amount of happiness in our life. But it, it actually takes work to overcome the egoic conditioning that we've all been placed under um, by, the, by the virtue of being human beings. And that requires a willingness and a desire to want to change, but most importantly, a discipline to do something on a repeated basis every, mm -hmm. every day. And that's the real hard part. If you can get yourself into that place of discipline, mm -hmm. um, I can guarantee you, you won't be disappointed. Mm -hmm. um, and, and my own story was life hit me so hard and I wanted to change so badly. Um, you know, I walked the walk I'm talking about. For seven months straight, I got up at 3.40 a.m., had a cold shower and then did a two and a half hour prayer, yoga and meditation practice for seven months. And I changed my entire life. Yeah. And so I know it can be done and others have done it. I wasn't the first. I was following the path of people before me. But we have this power within us to live much happier and much more fulfilling lives. Amazing. Um, and, Chris, uh, thank you. So I, oh, sorry. Sorry. Where to get a hold, sorry, just where to get a hold of me. Um, you can get a hold of me at uh, The Way Healing. And it's uh, the website is www the way all one word dash healing.com and my email address is chris at the way healing um i'll share that link in your email in the show notes but chris thank you so much for this um i think i understand the kundalini thing way more now and uh you've given me some fresh insight and everything so i really appreciate your time and uh happy birthday as well whilst we're at. right thanks so much ellie and yeah the time just flew there i really uh, enjoyed that conversation and uh, look forward to chatting some more in the future <laughs>